This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Like they did jazz and blues and cults, their, their, their religious groups, their religious sects in the cities, um, uh, uh, like they did ragtime, like we did hip-hop, like we're doing right now with trap. Black people in their creativity, we, we, we preserved that spiritual culture. And, 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 and what, what black power was in 1966 was simply an expression of that black spiritual culture coming out of Malcolm, coming out of the nation, coming out of the Panthers saying, we don't want the religiosity of the nation, but we want its power. They kept the power, they got rid of the, the Islam, the nation of Islam. The elder Cleaver was a member of the nation in prison. When, they, when the Panthers encountered Malcolm's religion, they rejected religion, but they keep his power. So when they utter black power with Stokely and Willie Ricks in, 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 in Mississippi in 66, Martin Luther King is there that night. The only four people spoke that night. Willie Ricks, Stokely Carmichael, Martin Luther King, and one other. King is right on the stage where black power is made famous. King is black power. Malcolm was black power. The nation was uttered. It was a secularization of that phenomenon. And now we, uh, as a people, should understand that black power was it was finally, was, was, was black folk finally being honest with white folk. We got rid of the father divine. We got rid of a lot of our, you know, the, the trickster aspects of it that covered up the power, the secular power intentions. And when black power was uttered, then they could see it for what it really was. It really was simply black people seeking secular power. Father Divine, Nation of Islam, the Moorish Science Temple, Rastafari, the, the, the Five Percenters, all of that was all about getting secular black power. And the Panthers and, the, and SNCC finally made it clear, coming out of influence of King and, and the nation, both Christian and Islamic, and they secularized it when they said black power. When they said black power, they meant no more religious influence per se, but we're going to keep the power and we're going to let these white folk know and capitalists know we reject it. America's chickens are coming home to Rusa. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that talk, matters. matters. Transforming, Transforming truth, truth to power, 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 one broadcast, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening, and thank you for joining us here to um, end the 2021 season month of Black History. And we're so glad that you have chosen to be with us tonight. Thank you so much for those of you who would like to join us in our chat room. And we recommend it because um, 
that is where, without calling in, you get to chit-chat about what is happening in this live broadcast. This is our common ground. It is not Janice Graham's common ground. It is not our common ground, media common ground. It is our common ground where we come to share, uh, to where friends come to meet comrades and discuss the pressing issues of the day. There is something really important, and if you and I, I'm seeing lots and lots of people who are just joining us on our board, and I'm hoping that you didn't have a hard time getting in or listening in tonight, and that's why all that activity is going on. And for those of you who are in the chat room, Alpha and Hard Worker 485, we know that even as we end the designated month of black history, that we do not study We are constantly studying black history. And here at Our Common Ground, it's open mic night tonight, Uh, we're looking at black history, understanding that uh, there is a golden ribbon that runs throughout our history from the day that we arrived on these shores. And that road has always led to black power. It has always been informed by freedom. And at some point in the journey, we began to formulate the notion of democracy through the work of people like Prince Hall, who essentially defined the narrative on the Declaration of Independence. So, we are saying tonight as we close out this this month of black history that we have been journeying on the road to black power and it has so many dimensions and we're going to talk about those dimensions and the way in which to America the notion of black power is unsettling. Even to some of us, the notion of black power is unsettling. I am proud to have been a generation of black activists, of black strugglists, who also proclaimed the notion, the demand, and the challenge the concept of black power, and I'm going to talk about some of my experiences in understanding that notion. Every one, every generation, my parents had their own notion of black power. At the beginning of the emancipation and into the reconstruction, the former slaves had their notion of black power. And many people see black power 
as a handle or an era when those of us who really understand the history of our people, we understand it as the mission. And so we're going to talk about that uh, some more. Uh, There are people who, we are a people who always want to share in what we do. We have done it through our art, through our music. We have used our skills in, in science and shared those with the world. So tonight as we look at our black power narrative, the one that we made, not the one that somebody else made for us, and we're going to talk about that too, because the media, the government, the CIA, the FBI, the DEA, the FDA, the HHS has always tried to form a campaign of propaganda around what is black power. So we're going to concentrate on what we're doing here. And what we're doing here is we are having to process and analyze tomorrow as we leave this month designated for us for the Negro accomplishments and journey and story, how we move out of this joyous month and continue our study. Uh, I happened to visit Alpha on the Alpha show last night, and one of the things that I was talking to him about is the notion that we have to constantly study. Um, we featured the black leaders discussion from a from the YouTube on weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Thank you, hard worker, and it is it is also on our archive on demand. So thank you very much. And that's what happens in our chat room. People are are sharing uh, various. We we played a great deal. We played probably around 30 minutes of black leaders' discussion with Fannie Lou Hamer and Kwame Toure and Angela Davis and Fannie Lou Hamer, and we're going to share some Fannie Lou Hamer tonight. We're uh, on the ball here. Thank you so very much as we always start this broadcast. uh, We're going to look at the covid 19 pandemic as of today 170 citizens and residents of the 50 states and 60 56 territory states and territories of the United States of America are hospitalized section 
and complications of infection. Five hundred and two thousand one hundred and seventy one persons, either citizens or residents, have died. And there have been a total of twenty eight thousand two hundred twenty eight million two hundred and ninety six thousand two hundred and seventeen cases of confirmed confirmed infection. But when we look at black lives in this pandemic, we have lost 70,215 black brothers and sisters. That's 15% of all of those who have died. And I continue to encourage you to stay safe, even if you have had your vaccine. I have had my first. Next week I will have my second. Um, I received the Moderna. Today the United States uh, government approved a third uh, vaccine from Johnson & Johnson, which is a one-shot deal and they will begin distribution of that vaccine of that of those vaccines on tomorrow. For those of you who are just joining us uh tonight we're going to be talking about black history. Uh it has always been the road to black power. And as we end this black history month Um, We have 365 days of opportunity to continue to do both our past history and our current history or current event studies of black people in this country and uh, how we relate to each other, how events in history have impacted what comes before us. So at, I don't know how many of you have been sitting in on the lecture by Dr. James Taylor, which have been wonderful and very moving and uh, informative and the body of knowledge is unbelievable. Um, The Our Common Ground Black History Special Lecture, a four-week, four four-week lecture series on Thursdays, which ended this past Thursday with with session four. And we can never be grateful enough to the wisdom, the universe of knowledge um, that Dr. Taylor has brought to us the way in which he has been able to weave together the many generations and eras of black political activism in this country. 
And uh, there are two things, that, three things that come out of those four weeks that I would like uh, to recommend to you. One is that if you have not listened in on the lectures, they are on demand here at Our Common Ground. And um, that you read, if you have not, that you read David Walker's Appeal, that you also, for your study, study the life of Prince Hall. I mean, as much as I have read about Prince Hall, and uh, I went through the school of uh, Charles Houston Hamilton Law Studies, Institute Law Studies, before it was an institute, uh, I happened to have gone to law school with his grandson. Um, it, 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 I did not know as much as I learned in the last two weeks about Prince Hall, things that I, I, I just uh, kicked myself because there were things that I learned from Dr. Taylor about the importance and significance of Prince Hall that I did not know uh, in our ongoing struggle for freedom and justice. So I'm recommending that, and I started doing this uh, last week, uh, exploring the life of, of Prince Hall. I mean, I can't tell you how much time and how many times I have passed by monuments to Prince Hall in, in Roxbury, uh, Massachusetts and um, Prince Hall School, uh, a couple of schools in Boston are named for him, and uh, attended events, stopped by to have a couple of drinks or dinner at Prince Hall um, Social Lounge in Boston. And we can talk about some of these. So, as as these eras change, we have to look at how do we change? Uh, what does comradeship and meaningful alliances mean in on this road to black power? How do you when when you go through Black History Month when you do Black History? Uh, studies. If you've ever been in an Africana um, or Black History Studies program, which uh, by the time I came out of business school, there were some, and I would sit in some classes uh, on and off. But as I shared with Alpha last night on his show, uh, when I was an undergraduate, our front line, my front line, was to bring black intellectuals and and, and scholars into the academy. Um, When, as a student, we took over Boston University's uh, administration hall, Boston University, as large as it was, had no, had no black, professors 
not even interim teachers. And black students at Boston University had to pass through um, Marsh Chapel with this huge sculpture dedicated to Martin Luther King, Reverend Martin Luther King, but had no black studies programs. There weren't even a, there weren't even black studies, black theology and religion studies at the School of Theology at Boston University in 1966-67, and Martin Luther King had been their premier student. So we'd like to, 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 to talk about that. But one of the things that I discovered, I got lots of email um, thanking us for the lectures uh, presented by Dr. Taylor. But everybody was saying that, uh, wow, he's really angry. Even Alpha said that to me last night. And I didn't find him particularly angry, Then that's because I had been in the company in my early years of Fred Hampton and, and Stokely Carmichael and... Uh, Jesse Jackson and Mary and Barry, and if you think Dr. Taylor was angry, you ain't heard nothing. So what I decided to do tonight before we kick off our discussion is to give you an idea of where um, uh, where where anger what rage, where does rage, and I don't think Dr. Taylor was raging, I think that he was passionate about, it. it, it you know, the, the love of black people will make you have a lot of passion. And um, so, But there, there was a wave of rage in every one of the eras that have brought us thus safely across, across the incidents, across the events, across the tragedy, and across the terror. The terror. And I'm about to throw somebody out of the chat room because if you have no love for black people, you don't need to be here. You really don't. And I don't understand exactly what is your point. And I don't usually let trolls come into um, my chat room. You're done. You're done. I've, I've done it for a couple of weeks. And I'm not doing it tonight. Not tonight. No, not tonight. So I want you to take a look at, and I will tell you who these people are after listening to this, I want to, what I'm about to share with you. Lucas has said, that the American Negro is either going to be free or he's going to be dead. Now, you get this straight. You can kill all the black folks you want to, baby, 
but you will not kill the freedom of black folks. It's coming. We're going to get it. We fought in every one of your damn lousy wars, baby, and you give us nothing. Now, the war is going to be here because we're going to be free. Now, you kill all you want to, but we kill too. I don't agree with the moderator nor Reverend Robinson that we want some kind of agreement. We want agreement by which we can live or die. You meant by which we can live or die. You choose. If you won't listen to me when I make an appeal for the Negroes because you have no concern for the Negroes, listen to me when I make an appeal for America. You claim you love America. Well, we love America. But you are driving us back and you are making a Samson out of us and we are going to pull down the pillars. Should you try to pretend that I'm crazy because I want America to be saved? And then you think we have no right to ask for something? Is it too much to ask you to grant us human dignity? Should we be put down and shot to death for this request? If so, you can aim your guns. What the hell do you think we care about dying if you're going to deny us the right to live? Ask and ask and ask and you refuse to give them anything. Now, we're, all, we're just about out of patience. We're not going to ask anymore. The news media says that it's only the young that are militant, only the young that want this and want that. Okay, but we're 40% of the black population now. Or we were a year ago and still yet we're climbing. Before long we'll be 50%, 55%, then we'll have the command. We're not going to take it. We're not going to take sitting in, in rotten parks and in, in, in places that just aren't fit for living. We're not going to take it. There's a limit to a man's patience, and everyone knows that God, Christ, heaven, everyone knows that what we're asking is not a million dollars. What we're asking for is humanity. Sick. You're definitely sick. How can you tell me that it's too much to ask to be a human being? Why am I mad? You know, white people ask me, why am I so angry? And, you know, I don't have any answer for him because it would be ridiculous for me to answer him because he couldn't understand anyway, obviously, because he asked me the question. The 400 years that I've existed there, three years, you know, three generations within my own family, why don't you know what I'm like? What is it so new in 1968 or, you know, in the 60s that you've got to learn? Because my grandfather was born, you know, he's 90. My mother was ready for integration. You know, she's middle-class Negro. Now, all of a sudden, you come to me, and you, you say, you know, uh, communicate with me. Hell, I've been here all the time. And we've been Where were you? <clears throat> now, what do I have to say to you? The most advanced nation in the world. It has to be resolved. It has to be resolved because I want my children to have an answer. Yes, not me. I personally prefer that I have an answer. You know, I don't have, you know, I, I like to say I don't have my lifetime to waste on this. Most people say... ...looked upon America as being white, and hence all of its propaganda is 
directed at us to convince us that somehow or the other we must become white before they will accept us. The problem is the standard for discussion is set by the whites. That, and a lot of Negroes now don't want to accept that standard anymore. They want to, they say, it's, I, I, we're going to have our own standard. I think that the hookup comes if you can develop a whole new standard where whites and Negroes can have a dialogue. Not either one of those are acceptable anymore. I mean, whites aren't going to accept Negro standards, and Negroes no, one, no longer want to be white. So that the clear thing is to develop a whole new standard, and then everybody move toward that so, they, so there can be some kind of dialogue. You know, you know, from a child up, I always, at first, I wanted to be white, you know, because my family was 20 of us, six girls and 14 boys. We would make 15, 60 bales of cotton, gather all that cotton, and we wouldn't have food in the wintertime. So I figured then the white people must be right. But as I got older, I said, no, it's something wrong. And if I ever get a chance, I'm going to do something about it. I'm thinking about in terms of a better and a greater world for all people. And we can't do that by me in one corner doing what I can do to hurt you and you in the other corner doing the same thing against me. And those were voices of angry Negro people. The last voice that you heard was Fannie Lou Hamer. The young woman that you heard was a 17-year-old Janice Peake Graham. Janice Graham. Uh, those interviews were taken um, in 1967 at one of the last conferences called by SNCC. So when you hear passion, when you hear black people who know that they know, we need to draw back and understand that in the words of James Baldwin, if you are a Negro in America, You are in constant rage. Constant rage. Let's start off our conversation, and our number tonight is 347-838-9852. You can write it down. I'd like to hear from you. 347-838-9852. How do we understand the mission, the challenge to study our history and use it as a tool for strategic planning? As you know, in in the lecture series, our Black History lecture series, Dr. Taylor constantly mentioned the idea that we've seen this before. We've seen all of it before, which is why we were not surprised, which is why we mostly projected and suspected. I have been on these airways for the last six months, and I have said over and over and over, we in this country are back in this, in, we are 
in a civil war. And I think that January 6th was nothing more than understanding that particular concept. They promised that the South would rise again. We have a Congress that is comprised of a minority is essentially the new confederacy. And and by by new, what I mean is that it is more sophisticated, it is better financed, and if we don't begin to understand that, if we don't begin to extract from our power base, whatever that means, we are going to be in, as Dr. Taylor pointed out in his lectures, into 50 more years of the same kind of struggle for the same kinds of freedoms, the same kind of justice that we have struggled for all of these years. So uh, there are many people, and I'd like to hear from you, who say, well, black history is not important. Black History Month is just something, uh, I mean, uh, that black history is uh, just a month of trying to figure out how to put shirt and tie on a divided nation. Well, I think it's more than that. Let me let me tell you about Carter G. Woodson. He was he is known as the father of black history. He was born in 1875 and he died the year that I was born and he was the son of former slaves and understood how important gaining a proper education is when striving to secure and make the most out of our divine right of freedom. He didn't begin his formal education until he was almost 20 years old. His dedication to study enabled him then to earn a high school diploma in West Virginia. West Virginia, his first undergraduate degree was from Berea College, in Kentucky, and he got his another bachelor's degree and his master's degree from the University of Chicago uh, in just a few years. And in 1912, he began uh, his career, and he was only the second black man to earn a Ph.D. at Harvard University. He recognized that the death of information on the accomplishments of blacks and founded the Association of the Study of Negro Life and History, now called ASALA, or the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. And under his leadership, this association created research and publication outlets for black scholars with the establishment 
of the Journal of Negro History, which was first published in um, 1916, and the Negro History Bulletin, which was first published in 1937. In 1926, he initiated the celebration of Negro History Week, which corresponded with the birthdays of Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln. In 1976, Black History Month was expanded to include the entire month of February because it was only a week when it was first founded. And today, Black History Month has garnered support throughout this country as people of all social backgrounds discuss the black experience. Asala views the promotion of Black History Month as one of its most important components of addressing not only Dr. Woodson's legacy, but our existence and the spirit of our struggle in this country. So I am very proud to honor the work of Dr. Carter G. Woodson, and um, I have a uh, Woodson um, ornament that's placed on my Kwanzaa table each year. Because I, I, I think that it's really important for us to understand that all of these things fit together, that you can't um, celebrate Kwanzaa without also celebrating the road to black power. Now, <clears throat> let's talk a little. Uh, you know, I'm going to get this number again because um, 347-838-9852 if you'd like to talk about Black History Month, if you'd like to talk about the whole notion of black power, um, you can give us a call here at Our Common Ground. But last week we were really talking about the notion of of um, forgiveness. And we have a lot of people in our community, um, you know, that um, maybe we need to consider uh, forgiving. Uh, and th some of those people are, are were uncompromising. But um, the decade uh, of, uh, 19, uh, of 1960 opened with sit-ins and freedom rides and continued through Birmingham, Selma, the March on Washington, and, and closed with protests in hundreds of American cities, often punctuated by rioting and violence. And during those the, that troubled decade, the rhetoric of protest became increasingly demanding with blanket charges of pervasive white racism and 
hostility were more common and some blacks began to actively discourage white people from participating either in protest demonstrations or civil rights organizations. Uh, Nothing better symbolized the changing mood and changes in the movement's dominant symbols. Demonstrators who once shouted freedom as their rallying cry now began in this particular era to shouting black power. To give you some idea, um, as Dr. Taylor explained in his lectures, the larger, more diverse a political movement's constituency the more vague and imprecise were the uh, unifying symbols and rallying cries. And a slogan like black power has no sharply defined meaning. It may excite many different emotions and may motivate individuals, but as soon as Adam Clayton Powell and Stokely Carmichael Kwame Ture, began to use the phrase in 1966. It set off an acrimonious debate among black leaders over the true meaning of what, of, of what it meant. Uh, and um, Initially, it was a blunt and threatening battle cry meant to symbolize a break with the past. Stokely put it in in one of his very early speeches. He said, the only way we're going to stop the white men from whipping our ass is to take over. And then he started using the black power chant. And we had people like Roy Ennis, like Roy Wilkins, like Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King, as as Dr. Taylor said, was standing right on the stage when Stokely Carmichael first proclaimed black power. And most of his speeches, if you really analyze them and explore them, He's talking about black power, too. Um, But, you know, it was people like Roy Ennis. No matter how endlessly we tried to explain it, the term black power to people in the white community and to people like Roy Ennis and others, it meant anti-white power. It had to, it, it, it meant that black people were going to go it alone. Uh, And it meant separation. And it was uh, uh, NAACP saw it as a black nationalist salute. Um, And, but they all agreed uh, um, and, and and some of them were uncompromising. But Martin Luther King expressed 
the doubts of many of those who were reluctant about what black power meant, that it's absolutely, and he said, uh, here's a quote, it's absolutely necessary for the Negro to gain power, but the term black power is unfortunate because it tends to give the impression of black um, nationalism. And he went on to say that we must never seek power exclusively for the Negro. And and he said, and I was a member of SNCC at the time, my problem with SNCC is not their militancy. I think you can be militant, nonviolent. It's what I see as a pattern of violence emerging. And it was such a big disagreement. I am telling you, um, I was done with King. When he made that statement, I was one of the people just done with him. Done, done, done. I was so, I, I can remember, um, you know, I, I, I went to school in Boston, and I could remember borrowing money to get the train to go over to Cambridge to meet with some some other SNCC members because we were in an uproar as well. So it is fortunate for us that at some point that we were able to uh, during, it was a very turbulent time. It was a very painful time uh, that we were able to work some of the issue of the meaning of black power. I can't tell you how many hours, um, you know, uh, doing my, my, when I was a student, Everybody had to have jobs. Everybody had to have um, um, study groups. Everybody had to do what you had to do to stay in these white universities, which was a lot of work. So sometimes we didn't even get together until 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. There were... 126, because I was a bookkeeper, 126 black students in the 56 colleges and universities in the Boston area. That included um, Brandeis, which was uh, out in the suburbs, some of the schools that were out in the suburbs. That, that also included University of uh, Boston, uh, University of Massachusetts, Amherst, which was like 100 miles away. It included St. Michael's, where Clarence Thomas was a student. 126 of us. And we had a student, SNCC um, organized a student registry. We knew how to call each other. Um, I was the, I maintained the, the list. Every time you went to a party, you knew you had to check the registry if your telephone number had changed. There was no email. There was no text messaging. Nobody had any cell phones. didn't even have the big, the FBI didn't even have cell phones at that time. 
<laughs> that's I guess I'm telling my age. So, <clears throat> but one of the things that we knew uh, from SNCC, the Black Panther Party, the the Boston um, chapter of the Black Panther Party, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' father was the supervisor from Maryland, because there weren't a lot of people on the on the East Coast, with the exception of New York and Hartford, um, people who were at Yale, um, there wasn't a lot of activity. So uh, we we had to keep close. So on Friday nights and on Saturday nights, all the black students partied together. Um, people knew. I guess, you know, one of the things that's really funny, I kept saying to people, yeah, uh, hard worker, there wasn't even pages. <laughs> I, and, and, and most students didn't have cars. Um, I happened to have, um, um, because my mother was Delta, my father was Alpha, and they, they knew lots of people in Boston, I could get to a car if I really needed a car. Um, so... Um, we had to keep our communications tight. And I instituted a telephone tree. Now, you might ask, Janice, how did you know about telephone tree? Because telephone tree was how my mother communicated with her club members when I was a kid. You call Ruth, and then Ruth calls Ella, and Ella calls Doris, and Doris calls Alice, and that's how it worked. Uh, change of the meeting, change of whatever. So there I was as a as an officer in SNCC in 1967 in Boston, instituting among 126 uh, black students in 58 colleges and universities, a phone tree, <laughs> just like the damn Girl Scouts. Or so, <clears throat> I mean, and we would have people who lived in the dorm, you know, during, the t- during this time, especially in the HBCUs. Uh, you couldn't. You didn't have a phone. You had lots of rules about. I happened to go to a white university, and we were the first, one of the first colleges and universities to let go of when you had to be in at twelve o'clock or something like that. The white girls wasn't having it. So um, this is where I'm going with this. Here we are now, studying black history with the greatest body of collections of information. And I am telling you, the four weeks that Dr. Dr. Taylor just did, you, can't, you couldn't get that anywhere else. I'm just telling you. Because most black political scientists don't know history and most historians don't know political science 
And there was this man blending it all together to show us how all the puzzle, what the puzzle, you know, one of the things he did was showed us what the puzzle pieces were and then showed us how they fit together. Because it is history informing history. Movements informing other movements. And I will, um, in my recommendations tonight, recommend that you read The Miseducation of the Negro, David Walker's Appeal, and Dr. Taylor's book, Black Nationalism in the United States, from Malcolm X to Barack Obama. The title is Black Nationalism in the United States from Malcolm X to Barack Obama. Because we don't give, I think, you know, Michelle and Alpha will tell you that on this program, uh, the last week of Black History Month, I used to have a Black History game. Well, I don't want to play that game anymore because think, things are pressing down on us far too heavy at this point. We can always tell you that um, Louis Latimer did this and 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 Harry Garrison did that and Lucille. Washington did that and somebody else did that. But if you don't understand the context in which they accomplished those things, if you don't understand the context in which we broke some of the chains and crossed some of the bridges, and as as, as Dr. Taylor said, and, and won so many victories, Imagine for a minute, just imagine if there had not been a Kwame Ture, a Rap Brown, a Fred Hampton, and a Martin Luther King, and a A. Philip Randolph. there would not have been a civil rights bill in 1968. And it's just so important for us to know how important that was. In 1968, when those bills were passed, you had no protection. None. We we, we think it's we, we we think the pushback and the resistance, the white resistance, is ongoing now. Imagine what it was like in 1971 when I walked out of the Sloan School of Management, trained for two years, and looked for a job. Well, I really have to look for a job because I already worked at Polaroid. So 
that gave me a better job. But imagine for a moment the six people who gra- the six black men who graduated from Harvard Law School the same year that I came out of Sloan looking for a job, asking, passing the bar, because every one of them passed the bar. And you know how we did that? I mean, I know two of them would have never passed the bar. And they didn't have any money to go take uh, bar prep courses, which costs maybe about uh, $3,600 now, so probably cost around $1,200 then. And we had study groups with one or two lawyers from the community. Tom Atkins was one of them. Um, One of the, I'm trying to think of his name. I can see him, but I can't think of his name right now. And those six students, for two weeks every night, prepping them to take the bar. Because, you know, during that time, that was going to be the first wall that they were going to hit if they didn't take the bar. And there were plenty, there were there were plenty of um, plenty of lawyers operating in large law firms who didn't take the bar because they just wanted to do legal research, legal strategic development. I don't want to take the bar because I don't want to defend this these laws. So. That's the context. That's the context in which black people moved from the passage of the Civil Rights Act. And and you know you know what they forgot. Um and t- they had Title Seven, but they forgot Title Six. Some clerk dropped the ball when they were putting together the Civil Rights Act of 68. And so when Johnson signed the law, Title VI, which guaranteed anti-discrimination in housing, (laughs) it wasn't in it. So they passed the the Civil Rights Act in April, uh, uh, in January, and in April, they had to pass the the fair the Fair Housing Act separately because the clerk, whoever was handling the paperwork, forgot to include it in January. Just an interesting aside. So I want to hear from you. What what is the narrative of black black power? How does it fit in how you study black history? I black history, teach black history, and talk about black history. And again, thank you so much for being with us tonight because I think we have accomplished an awful lot uh, in this particular Black History Month. 
and I'll talk about that as well. January 6th is working in a lot of ways for us. But a Negro woman speaking in Massachusetts with, with, with power is, is part of our spiritual culture. Miss Graham, there is a reason why God allowed for the most important book ever written in our history to be one of the first. The W.E. Du Bois, W.E.B. Du Bois, Souls of Black Folk, is hands down the most important book ever written by a black man or woman, in my opinion, because of what it did in our so to, to us psychologically. It explains why Paul Robeson rises, why Zora Neale Hurston rises, why the, you know the Black Arts Movement rises, the Talented Tenth, Martin Luther King rises. Without Du Bois, there is no King, and that's why it's deep that King. That the boys dies on the exact day in Africa on the day King gives I have a dream. If you don't see spiritual culture right there, then it's because you are spiritually blind. You can't see that Du Bois dying on the day I have a dream after 96 years or 95 years of frontline struggle, and he's so angry with this country, even if, even though Nkrumah invited him out there to do some research, that he's, he's in Africa and dies in Africa. He could have died the day after, the day before, three days later, but he dies what corresponds to the, the, the morning of the uh, I have a dream speech in, March, uh, in August 28, 1963. And it's that spiritual culture. That I want to talk about briefly, because that's the whole point of being black in America. Like, a, like it's almost like being Jewish, but not in America. Jewish in in the Bible, or Jewish in the ancient times. You know, as an oppressed people, because Jews are not oppressed in America. They might be the subject. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more. wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health. It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. And we've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it, I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in the journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. You're listening to Truth. The Wizard of Oz is 70 years old. Today, if Dorothy were to encounter men with no brains, no heart, and no balls, she wouldn't be in Oz. She'd be in Congress. <laughs> Just down. It's the Alpo Show, Fridays, 10 p.m. on TruthWorks Network. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals. 
the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Like they did jazz and blues and cults, their, their, their religious groups, their religious sects in the cities, um, uh, uh, like they did ragtime, like we did hip-hop, like we're doing right now with trap. Black people in their creativity, we, we, we preserved that spiritual culture. And, 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 and what, what black power was in 1966 was simply an expression of that black spiritual culture coming out of Malcolm, coming out of the nation, coming out of the Panthers saying, we don't want the religiosity of the nation, but we want its power. They kept the power, they got rid of the, the Islam, the nation of Islam. The elder Cleaver was a member of the nation in prison. When, they, when the Panthers encountered Malcolm's religion, they rejected religion, but they keep his power. So when they utter black power with Stokely and Willie Ricks in, 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 in Mississippi in 66, Martin Luther King is there that night. The only four people spoke that night. Willie Ricks, Stokely Carmichael, Martin Luther King, and one other. King is right on the stage where black power is made famous. King is black power. Malcolm was black power. The nation was uttered. It was a secularization of that phenomenon. And now we, um, as a people, should understand that black power was it was finally, was, was, was black folk finally being honest with white folk. We got rid of the father divine. We got rid of a lot of our, you know, the, the trickster aspects of it that covered up the power, the secular power intentions. And when black power was uttered, then they could see it for what it really was. It really was simply black people seeking secular power. Father Divine, Nation of Islam, the Moorish Science Temple, Rastafari, the, the, the Five Percenters, all of that was all about getting secular black power. And the Panthers and, the, and SNCC finally made it clear, coming out of influence of King and, and the nation, both Christian and Islamic, and they secularized it when they said black power, when they said black power, they meant no more religious influence per se, but we're going to keep the power and we're going to let these white folk know and capitalists know we reject it. This white man then created his own death chamber and is killing him and he's trying to kill us and he can't. They killed off the Native Americans. They tried to kill us off. They can't. They keep trying to idealize, you know, Time Magazine and Newsweek had this computerized depiction of the future American. And they had all these mulattoes, so-called or hybrid or, or mixed heritage black people and white people, you know, mixed race people. And they tried to say, this is the future of America soon with all of the intermarriage. Well, if you look at 2010, 25 million mar black people married each other. In 2010, 175,000 black people married white people. 175,000 
Black people total married white people in 2010. 25 million black people married each other in 2010. It is not a problem. Interracial love and dating and messing around, that's one thing. Marriage, black women and black men, when they marry, they marry each other, and it ain't even, it ain't even close. It's like 25 million to 100,000, 200,000. So, so um, our community, as long as we continue doing that, is going to be strong. And our traditions will continue to live, and our culture will continue to thrive, because that's the basis of it, is our, 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 you know, our families. And we need to recover our image, because they have distorted it. I need those hits. Hit me. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You know, I I listened to uh, James Brown. There's another, you know, there's very little that can beat what what makes you pulse when you're listening to James Brown and Teddy Prendergast. And, and it was really interesting because I was talking to uh, uh, to my grandson, the older one, and um, he was talking to me about how much he liked Teddy Prendergast. And I was telling him about his other grandmother and I, uh, about 12 years ago, went to a Teddy Prendergast at the Berkeley School of Music uh, concert hall, Teddy Prendergast uh, concert, and how much we clowned at that concert. Because I I think when uh, we begin to grasp what music and socialization, uh, you know, um, what our music and our art did for us in uplifting us all the way back to camp songs, black camp songs, uh, and you can Google it and find out what, what I mean by camp songs, that even during Reconstruction, Black people were singing, and they were praying for black power. Go all the way back. And how we have lost our center of colluding and being with each other to celebrate this road to black power, because that's that's what black history is all about. Um, you know, our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. And tonight, here at our common ground, uh, we're talking about black history as the road to black power. And and when we begin to study, and when we begin to exchange and share with us. I love, I mean, you have no idea 
um, last week when Mary Jackson, who I have met, I I, I met her in, in two different social events in Washington, the NASA headquarters bears her name now. It's the Mary J. Jackson NASA headquarters. She started off as a mathematician there, uh, as a data um, data uh, person that sorted data. And that was with the big, clunky, very early, very, very early computers and how she worked her way up in the organization without an engineering degree. She was doing work that engineers were doing for almost 20 years. And then she went back to school, got her engineering degree. And the reason she didn't have an engineering degree, because there was no engineering program that would accept her, because she was black. They want to say because she was female, because she was black. And at 347-838-9852, we can get that kind of straight, because you know one of the things is that we have to be, why it's so important to understand black history why it's so important to understand the struggles of black people so that when you are being offered narratives, you are able to filter those narratives. Um, so if you if you go back all the way in the ways in which we have used our art, if in the ways in, in which... Art has been created, and music has been created. Uh, I I don't know if you are familiar with the work of Charles Briggs. Biggs. Michelle, let me know if I'm. I, I I think that I I think I got that right. If you look at his work and the expression of us as a victorious yet struggling people. You know, the Our Common Ground um, um, theme this year, I always, you know, I always have a theme. Uh, Embodies what I'm trying to express to you. And, and, And the theme is what we have endured what we have survived, and yet we have achieved. Our contributions are beyond the uh, ordinary in any civilization, in any country in the world. And I really miss, I don't know about you, but I, I really miss the idea of uh, when when I was young and in my career, um, I was a member of the Black Businessmen's, they said Businessmen's, but Black Businessmen's uh, Association of Boston. And it was a group of uh, state and federal black employees uh, who 
um, state and, and black employees who put together and bought a little basement apartment in the south end of Boston. Uh, Alpha is saying he's getting a busy signal. I don't know why. Maybe he should try it again. He's trying to call us. And um, there was a kitchen and a bar and a jukebox. And I felt like on any Friday night, Saturday night, it was a safe place for me to go. I knew people there. People knew me. I knew what everybody, what their title was or what their position was in their company. Uh, I happened to be one of maybe five or six people who were in private industry, and people knew my story, how I got there. Uh, One night I walked into the businessman's club, and um, it was a very cold night, and all I wanted to was to... um, Get to my call. Uh, get to get get into the heat. And when I walked in, people burst out with applause. I had just been been to South Africa. My company, as a result of a group of us who went to South Africa to check out the company's operations in apartheid, South South Africa had just announced the day before that the company was divesting. And this was right this was right at the cusp of the free Mandela um free South Africa movement and because those people knew. Are you getting audio? I'm not sure. Um people are saying they can't get uh, a call through, and I'm showing nothing that's going on on my switchboard. Um, I don't have anything. Let me see. I just tried to free it, Alpha. He's saying that he can't call in. So, um, our ability to to embrace each other in that way. And we've got to find places in which we do that. Uh, For working class people um, to be able to socialize with professional people, that that used to be, that, that used to be the way it was. So, I'm not sure, and what I'm going to do is take a break and see if I can't figure out what's going on with our phones uh, right now. I don't have a lot of music up in here, but I do have uh, this. And the specificity is that uh, black people, you know, had this very specific uh, stage of, of, their, of, their, of their development. So I think it's important to recognize from Prince Hall to the Declaration of Independence, I said on this show recently, if you look throughout the history of black people in terms of their writings and manifestos, 
they always emphasize the Declaration of Independence. Frederick Douglass's 5th of July speech, what to the Negro is your 4th of July? That's him destroying it. That's him destroying it. He basically, like, like Prince Hall, he's, in other words, Frederick Douglass's 4th of July speech that condemns the white version of the 4th of July is in the Prince Hall tradition. We have our way of understanding the Declaration of Independence. You have yours. And, Ms. Graham, I've been trying to say, I, I'm having a hard time getting it out, but I keep trying to say we are the better alternative of how to be America in America compared to the white people. And what I mean by that is the white people want to you, uh, see the Declaration of Independence as war. But the black orientation was, how, do, how can we apply this idea to all people? And so now nobody knows this, or very few people know, that it was black people who applied the declaration to society. It was white men who only saw it as a law manifesto. But in a black man named Prince Hall, the founder of black Freemasonry uh, in America, in Boston, at the Revolution, he is a founding father. There were black founding fathers. And that's why Prince Hall is important. Prince Malcolm X, David Walker, Jeremiah Wright, the women as well, Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker, Queen Audley, Mother Moore, Septima Clark, Daisy Bates, these women were revolutionary lionesses in their hearts. They, were, they would eat you to, they would destroy you in terms of you being an obstructionist to black people. These women trained a little boy named Martin Luther King. Septima Clark, I think it was, or Daisy Bates took King to the uh, Highlander folk, uh, folk School, sorry, in Tennessee, when King was a very young guy. These women had already been trained in these tactics. So I'm trying to get you to understand. Black people, when we were brought here as slaves, we were not expected to survive. And lucky for them, we did. Because if we were not here, America would be dead already right now because white America ain't got nothing left to offer it but negativity, violence. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. don't know what's going on with our uh, phone lines tonight. Uh, I can only say you should continue to, maybe there's some kind of glitch going on at the Blog Talk Radio system, uh, because um, they should be working. They're always working. The number is 347-838-9852. And um, I'm not sure why it is not working. Uh, Maybe somebody tried to uh, do something to our phones because they got banned or something. I'm not so sure. Uh, And I apologize for it. But I I think that it is so important for us to understand this whole notion of the meaning of black power and to have a sense of exactly how there was such a serious, 
serious um, disagreement um, about what started out as a rallying cry. Um, it was uh, an organizing um, a rallying cry. And, I mean, there is no doubt that Kwame Ture, Stokely Carmichael, was a brilliant and impatient civil rights leader. Um, and that we all knew at the time that King was aghast at Carmichael's use of a slogan that sounds so aggressive. And uh, he took a lot. He took a lot of guff. And when in 1966 and 1967, when Carmichael toured college campuses giving increasingly belligerent speeches uh, and delivering a, a very radical for the time manifesto titled Black Power, first time that I heard him, that is uh, the manifesto that he delivered. And, and what it did was argue that civil rights group had lost their appeal to increasingly militant young black people. And um, he was hoping uh, that we did not shrink from that notion and because he became the personification of raw militancy, which today it would not be seen in that way. Um, and he didn't shrink from it. And he severed ties in 1967. He severed ties with SNCC. And he became an on honorary prime minister of the Black Panthers, which is, drum roll please, don't you know the reason why I moved into the ranks of the Boston chapter of the Black Panther Party following Stokely Carmichael because I think I thought Stokely Carmichael had the magic of perseverance, etc. Alpha, would you try the number again? Keep trying the number until you can get in. Uh, we only have um, uh, a half an hour into the show, and I had no idea that there was a problem with the phones. I should have known something happened because all the people who were listening on my board, they all went away. And Alpha tried and let us know um, if... Uh, if it's still having the problem, uh, I'm always afraid that I'm going to knock everybody off uh, if I hang up. Let me see, uh, and then it'll all be over. We'll just have a mess going on in here. 
But, um, I, okay, you don't have to tell me 12 calls 12 times. Okay, Alpha, you can just calm down now. Um, I really apologize for this. I'm not, we've never had this problem before. So I'm not sure what's going on here uh, at our common ground in the sanctuary, uh, which is why people should always try to uh, register and be in our chat room. Um, So um, I'm hoping that people who call in aren't losing the show tonight, and I believe that that probably would be the case. So I'm going to play some music because, you know, Alpha is acting up in Y'all know Alpha is acting up in the in the chat room. And um, I'm going to hang up and call back in, um, play a little music, um, and we'll be right back. to the places where we would go to socialize with each other to talk about the problems of the community, gentrification that has uh, prohibited, created the impediments uh, for that in many cities across the country, is that we now find ourselves without community radio. And I talk about this a lot because I think it's very important. Uh, I think I did my best work when I was doing community radio, which meant 
that I was targeting a specific geographical community, uh, dealing with their problems, dealing with the issues of that community, uh, working with, on air, the people who were the activists in that community, doing all of the work necessary to break down the walls of getting resolution uh, to that community, to examining and analyzing the needs of that community. And um, so we have lost that. that specifically is um, targeting. You know, at one time, remember when I used to talk about one of the things I wanted to do with TruthWorks Network on the road to black power was to have a show that dealt with East Coast, a show that dealt with West Coast, a show that dealt with the Southern States because we needed to harness the resources of communities and, and, and somehow regionalize it. Um, when I used to do a show in Boston called Positively Boston, which is aside from, I used to do Positively Boston at 8 o'clock in the morning on one station and then at 2 o'clock in the afternoon go to another station and do Our Common Ground. But in Positively Boston, that show, which I did for about four years, um, it was a whole other ball game than Our Common Ground. But you still can take shows like that and make sure that it is inclusive, like Positively Boston, Jamie Foxx was one of my guests. Uh, he was coming into the city to do a concert the next weekend, and um, the first time I booked him, he he didn't show up. You know, like nothing like having an intro, and he's going to be on the line, and then there's nobody there. And he sent me this huge bouquet of uh, flowers and sachets and soaps and all that kind of stuff. He was profusely uh, apologetic. Um, So we did, you know, Jimi Hendrix, uh, stuff like uh, there were soul food restaurants in Boston, and I used to have chefs from some of the soul food restaurants, some of the black businesses that would have never gotten a chance to be on um, on on that station with their with their businesses. So we have lost an incredibly important network. I mean, sometimes I find it very difficult. Sometimes I walk around and I'm two days trying to figure out what am I going to do with our common ground this week. Because it's very difficult um, to do 
a national show for black people. And it has become more difficult. I mean, if I look at some of the major podcasts and broadcasts on the Internet right now, I would probably say that 35 to 45% of the people who have major uh, Internet broadcasts right now are people who were guests and they at our common ground, and they decided, hey, this is a good uh, uh, method of me talking to the people that I need to talk to about my book, about my work, about whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, you know, uh, I think that we have to get back that one of the things that we have to see as part of any reparations package has got to be media. And not media to make celebrities out of people, not media for celebrities, not media for entertainment, media for education and liberation. Because I know what the possibilities are when you can listen to a radio show sitting in your um, lounge chair in your living room and they're talking about the need for public utilities to to fill potholes right down the street or to deal with curriculum in the schools where your children attend. Specific. You know, you get some, uh, what did Dr. Dr. Taylor say? You get specificity here. So I think that we have to really think through it. And here's another thing I've been thinking about, and I, I guess I don't know. If Alpha tried to call us, 347-838-9852. Alpha, did you try to call again to see if it if it fixed it? I disconnected myself while you were listening to people go around the whole world or what's the name of that song? The, uh, um, people make the world go round. So um, I think that it is, so important to understand the very nature of what this history means. Alpha, you don't have to count the number of calls. I just want to know, is it still ringing busy? So it must be blog talk radio because I, I, I don't know. I can't, I, I can't tell you. Uh, if I was in a radio station, I could put on some music, go in the control room, and figure it out. But I can't figure it out here. Um, there is a night, you know, I, I get a lot of email around people telling me, oh, you should be on the YouTube. I want to be on the YouTube. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't want to be on the YouTube. I don't want to be on the, when I have to do a Zoom call, I get very irritated because 
um, you have to, Michelle knows, you have to comb your hair, you have to, I mean, Michelle knows that I've been on Zoom with some people looking a ragged mess, but they my friends. So I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure um, if I want to go through the stretch of doing Our Common Ground on YouTube. I think that when you're talking about serious matters, that sometimes it's easier to listen. But here is my my message to people who are getting involved in any kind of activism in our community, whether it's H.R. 40, correcting H.R. 40, or reparations, pure reparations, or whatever it is. You cannot analyze. You cannot analyze. You cannot prioritize without two things. One is the input of the people that your plan is going to (coughs) affect or that your plan targets to affect. The other is you cannot liberate people without understanding this road to black power. Black power has uh, um, uh, at least 25 uh, spokes, black power in politics, black power in family life. Black power in the economy of the community and the economy of the individual. Um, Black power in education, black power in education policy, black power in education administration, black power in education facilities. You know, one of the things that we never think about. and certainly Betsy DeVos was never going to think about it, and some of the others weren't as well, is that we have children who live in mold-infested public and public-assisted housing with landlords who don't give a damn and will not invest in um, removal. In terms of jobs, mold and algae removal is a technical skill. It's It's not just scraping some stuff. And we don't have enough black people who have been educated to do it, uh, trained to do it. And those are the people who we need working with tenants in rental housing and um, um, public housing because they will do the job because they are doing it for their mothers, their fathers, their aunts and godmothers and all the other people. And our plan has to consider that. But it also has to be bridged 
to the physical facilities that where we send our children who sleep in mold, who have lead poisoning uh, derivatives in their health profile. And the school environment, the school physical facility, can exacerbate the asthma, the COPD. Yes, children have COPD. COPD is not just about smoking cigars, good Cuban cigars. Um, So our plan has not only to be an examination of the issues before us, It has to be some deep diving. And it can't happen in one month preparation for an HR 40 hearing. And it can't happen. I I am trained as a process planner. That's what my degree is in. Most people don't know that. But it takes a year if you're going to look at 25 spokes of black power. Because you, I haven't even mentioned the the climate and environmental injustice issues that face most black people in this country. I haven't mentioned the lack of access to legal services, the lack of access to health services, the lack of access to public health services, the lack of access to medical services. And then you've got the other issue of racism in medicine. Racism in public utilities, racism in, I mean, it would take, it takes about two years to identify what the spokes are for black power for black people. And everybody wants to be a star. Me and Alpha, we don't want to be a star. Me and Michelle, we don't want to be a star. We do, we just want to be helpful on this road. And if we can be helpful, that's a good thing. But um, I, I think that we have to understand the value and the worth of understanding black history, not just what we accomplish, but the context in which we accomplished it. Because if you understand that, you really understand the treasures that we have contributed. We're going to think about how we can study black history every day. Every day. 
Um, one of the things that I have started doing is um, I give I, I, I gave my um, my oldest grandchildren a Black History journal, um, and I guess it's been about two years. And every day when I talk to them, I try to talk to them at least every day. And I asked them, what's the black fact that you learned in your, that's listed in your journal today? And then we discuss it, and then I try to embellish for them, to put it into context that when uh, Louis Latimer was doing his work, when he was doing his study, when Ida B. Wells was doing her work, when she was writing at night, she was writing not by the kitchen light in the ceiling, but by a lantern fueled with oil that stunk. with boarded windows in her house because she was afraid that at any time she could be attacked. That Louis Latimer spent his time at Harvard alone, not presenting his work because he knew that two things would happen. He would be ridiculed for it, and then it would be stolen. That is the context in which just those two people did their work. That is what happened on the road to black power. We're going to leave you early tonight because our phones are not working. And um, one of the things that I suggest that you do is that we cannot ridicule those things for which we disagree, which are offered in the interest and for the victory of black people. We cannot afford to people for people to on the road to celebrityhood to, to distort or harm us. We cannot afford to have people shake our hands with wily smiles on their face. Um, I, you know, I bet you it's not public. Um, but, you know, but again, when you think about African Americans uh, in terms of politics and their social movement history, there's no, they are the Michael Jordans of social movements. They, their songs, I remember when Nikolai Ceausescu was overthrown in, I think, in Eastern Europe. Uh, the, the, they were singing in their own language, We Shall Overcome. 
They were singing We Shall Overcome in Eastern Europe, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and that just shows the power of black culture. African-American culture was so powerful, it inspired Stephen Biko's black, uh, 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 black consciousness. Black, it was nothing but South Africa's black uh, version of black power, Stephen Biko. That shows you out of Oakland, out of, out of, out of Mississippi, with, with, with Carmichael and Willie Ricks, it spread all over the world to Israel, to Australia, to New Zealand, um, uh, you know, uh, throughout the world, young people identified with it, right? And, and that's just the power of, of, of just one demonstration of African-American culture. But their movements have always been about universal democracy for, for themselves, and they understood by implication it would be for all. And that's the orientation of black people in this country, generally speaking. That's their sort of common... Just who are you? Broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. In spite of the age, I will rise a thousand times again. Thank you for being with us tonight on Our Common Ground. Join us next Saturday night as we talk with you about issues of race and intersectionality. You must know who you are the first thing in the morning and all the day long. Not because they told you, but because you know it, you feel it, you believe it, and you live it. Just who are you?